0: Okay, and welcome back then to Fast Performance. My name's Tim Davies and I've got a podcast for you. And it's about uh well, it's an essay I've written, and uh it's an essay I've written about failure. I've released it on well, my own website, which is having a revamp actually, I'm getting that professionally done, spending a bit of money on that. Um, because it's a bit of a mess. I'm doing it myself on WordPress and I haven't got time to maintain it and everything else. So I'm getting that done, but it's on there. It's also dropped into the FJP uh, page and it'll say it's on LinkedIn. Right. So it's about failure. Um, It's retracted a lot of interesting comments and it's made a bit of a debate happen, which is really cool about the responsibility of people to fail other people. And there's some other nuances in there as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But before I read the essay out to you, And it's not very long, guys. Don't worry about it. It's quite a short one. Um, The essay in general is about a student that we had on the squadron. And eventually her instructor or one of her instructors came to me and I said, let's just get rid of the trip. Let's just fail it. All right. Because we can then we can do stuff with her if we fail her. You know what I mean? But if she carries on, we're going to have problems. Now, this attracted a lot of uh, negative comments. I'm going to read some of them out to you now. And then we'll talk through the bad comments now. Uh, we can do this either way, but probably bad comments now, so you know what you're walking into, right? Um, and then we'll have a read of the essay, and then we'll come and have a look at the more positive comments that have come out the other side. This essay I wrote because uh, and I wrote it quite quickly. Actually, I'm on the road quite a lot. I wrote it quite quickly because I normally get an idea in my head and I work it through for a week or so, and I think is there any value in this telling people of this or is it is it just going to just be annoying and I, there's no value at all? So I mean, okay, you know what? I think there is value in this. So I just jot it down real quick and I put it out. And I like that in a way because you know, I can spend weeks trying to refine an essay and then it gets over refined. It kind of feels quite manufactured and it's not really very authentic. Whereas if I just get it out, the problem with just getting it out sometimes is that I miss a bit out that probably is quite critical to this. I don't think it matters too much. I think a lot of people felt that it did. And the critical bit really um, was to do with the fact that, uh, like any student has, she was also, the student was also carrying like some baggage. She was making errors here and there that were just kind of always there. They were always there. And uh, so we decided to stop her flying. And this is what the essay is about. I mean, everyone has these little bits and pieces that are always there. Some kind of Get through them, and they they get better. And other things, they don't. And I think we'll cover a bit more this end of the essay. Uh, we'll do that first. Let's look at some of the bad comments that have come up. I say good and bad comments. These are good and bad. Don't get me wrong. The comments are great. I love the bad comments. You know. Now I'm a big fan of embracing all this negativity and using this energy to get better. Yeah, you know? and you know that if you listen to me, or you follow me in the twelve months group. This is exactly what I'm about. So these comments come in. You know, um, make your en- enemies your energy. These aren't enemies of mine. You know what I mean? These are people who have said, "Look, I think you're wrong." Now if a comment comes on my website, it's normally quite respectful and that's that's great. It's a real nice nice discussion. If it comes on um, LinkedIn, well, LinkedIn is this place where people might leave a comment so it kind of bigs them up, you know? And that's great. I don't mind that, especially when they share the post. They normally comment on the top of the post. Now, all the post shares I've had, and there's been like 60 of them, or whatever, have had really nice things written about them because obviously this essay appealed to a lot of people and that's great. Now, Some people it didn't appeal to, uh, and I think some people use LinkedIn. I don't use it like this personally, but they use LinkedIn to make a statement. And um, they're saying, this guy's wrong. And a lot of people are saying, this guy's wrong. And a lot of people who have written bad comments, I know personally. In fact, the first one we're going to look at now is from a friend of mine called Stu, who's out in the desert flying big jets right now. And I instructed with Stu for a long time. Now, maybe Stu hasn't got the nuance of this, and that's fine. But what he says here is, uh, I'm struggling to see the authenticity in manufacturing a false representation of a good sortie. Who is qualified to make this kind of assessment about someone? Is it a new authorization or a qualification? Is the extent of the analysis about her life so far simply based on flying reports and a CV? Who knows what kind of failure she has previously witnessed or been party to and how has influenced her career? Maybe that's why she's good. That was from Stu. Now, I know Stu. And he's a good guy, Stu. Don't get me wrong. We flew with him for a long time. So that's a very, very valid point. And if I'd put some more information in this essay, that would have probably solved this one. And the information would have been this baggage. Like she, like every student we have, no student flies a perfect sortie. It never happens. No staff guy, no instructor ever flies a perfect sortie. And sometimes I'll come back having flown a sortie, but well, I left four months ago now, so I don't fly anymore. But I'd, I'd come back thinking, I need to sort that out because that's poor, and your your standards are slipping, and you're you need to be doing things better, and that's it. I have that power to do that because I've been flying a long time, and I know what difference between good and bad. But some students don't, and that's why they're students, right? That's why they're students, and I'll comment on that a little bit at the end. In fact, I might just just read a couple more of these first and then comment on um, what I mean by that exactly. So another good one here. This came from a training captain on an airline. I really like this one. And we had a chat about this on LinkedIn. I like this guy a lot, actually. This was really interesting. I like this guy. He He said, oh, Lordy, this certainly sets the cap amongst the plus fours, as it were. You can't fail someone until they objectively fail, even if their scores show a likelihood of failure in the future. Good enough right now is good enough. Take a pass and move on to the next sortie. Now, see, I disagree with that. And that's what his essay is about. And maybe that's the difference between sending people directly onto an OCU that's going to put them into combat situations and training someone for an airline. Uh, and I don't know what that means, but where there is objective supervision there for them constantly, because they're going to be a first officer. So maybe that's the difference. I'm not too sure. And I'm still working it out in my mind, but I did speak to him on this and we kind of came to some kind of conclusion here. And I like this. I like that comment there because what he's saying is um, this certainly sets the cat among the plus fours. Like, Okay, this is, this is, there's a dialogue here now. There's people in the office that are talking about this. Some people are saying yes. Some people are saying no. Wow, that's brilliant. If I can make someone think, then I think that job is done, right? So, oh, I love this one as well. This guy was funny. Uh, he said, stupid article. Students should pass if they meet all criteria for the flight. They should only be failed if they demonstrate performance below the required standards of the exercise, not because the instructor wants to have an ego trip conducting some twisted psych experiment. Because like we have time for that. You know, this is an experiment because if, if we break our students, we lose about six or seven million pounds worth of training. So we don't do that. You know we don't experiment with students. I've got no time for that. I've been in flying training for ten years. So, and I don't know what this guy did. I think he. I think he um, ran a small business. So that's fine. He can say that if he wants to. That's all right. Um, uh, what's this other one here? Oh, here we go. This is good. Uh, yeah, I like this one. Okay, I like this one. Uh, well written article. This is the last one, guys. Well written article, but the conclusion is wrong. You cannot just fail somebody if they pass all the criteria. Translating translating it to the corporate world, this unfortunately happens a lot and is unjust and value-destroying. For example, he, she meets all the criteria for promotion, but let us not promote them because they are too young, too old, need to have even more experience, haven't worked in a management role before, or other invented criteria. I often find that corporations fail their employees this way, uh, then bring in someone from the outside. How wrong, he says. And I agree with that, by the way. Uh, I'm in corporate right now. I see a lot of this. And also, I don't see I don't see people letting people go when they're not providing the value that they were supposed to or offering retraining or whatever it might be. We hang on to people that are underperforming um, and we don't help them perform better. That's just my, that's how I see it in there. But he's right about what this says. If you pass the criteria, you should pass. But there's a nuance to it. And that nuance is slightly different when you're flying uh, 70 million pound planes over North Syria or when you're training people to go and do that. Because I can't hand... Onto the OCU, people that I know are probably going to fail that OCU. So I have to prepare them for the OCU entry as my team did. And obviously, this person was not going to make that. And in fact, uh, and I'm not going to tell you whether she was T1, T2, whatever, it doesn't matter, irrespective. Um, and sometimes, of course, to protect the identity of people, I might change the sex or I might change the flight school they were on or the squadron they were on because I, I don't want this to, and you're there's no one's going to be able to recognize who this person was. And that's, I really, I really want that to be the case. So, but of course, before we string people onto the um, different aircraft they go onto, we do ask the student where they want to go. And we generally know. And the student doesn't really know where they want to go until they've kind of done all the flying phases on the, uh, on the squadron, because they might want to be an air defender, uh, and then they go and fly an air defense, sort of all the advanced radar, whatever it might be, and they're like, you know what, I really like the ground attack stuff better. You know, and that's great. So we do say to them, hey, have a think about it, talk to your buddies on the front line, because there's always students ahead of them they know, come back to us. Come back to us when you're ready, and we'll fly all the phases. And towards the end, just tell us where you think you want to go, and we'll see whether there's capacity there. Because someone else said, um, uh, and he corrected himself, actually, when I said, he said, it should be in the interests of the individual. And I corrected him and said, no, no, we're not flying club. Uh, wherever you saw that, that's wrong. This is the Royal Air Force. This is the oldest air force in the world. For the last 20 years, been on continuous operations, all right, we pay these people to go and deliver death on the war, on the, on the battlefield. And if you don't like that, well, there's other flying you could do like you join a glider club or something or maybe go into the airlines but it's not in the interest of the individual it's in the interest of the service that's why you pay the money so if you really want to be a typhoon guy but your scores are really good in ground attack and maybe in air combat you're not that great yet you're not developing slowly well we look at potential and we look at your ability and we say you know, and we speak to you and we say, where do you want to go? And we look at the typhoon and we say, guys, have you got any slots right now? We've got a guy, maybe a bit average in ACM, but he really wants to come up to you. He really wants to be a, um, you know, a big warfighter in the upper air there. And they, they sometimes go, yeah, yeah, send over, send over. We'll sort them out. No worries. And sometimes they say, look, we've got two slots and we're hurting on some of the squadrons for talent right now. We need um, some people that have done really well. That's okay. And we we'll go, okay, all right, sorry, buddy. You know, we're going to have to put you on a ground attack platform this time around. Okay. Now, That's just how it works because um, it also works in streaming at a very early stage. Um, If you really want to fly helicopters, but you're pretty good uh, at, at doing stuff that in the jet world is important, maybe prioritization, whatever it might be. Uh, you're showing an aptitude towards that end, then we'll probably direct you onto flying jets and you won't get to fly helicopters. The same thing happens for every type. Okay, we've got guys at JetScore that really wanted to fly helicopters. That's a fact. A lot of people coming into the military right now, they want to fly rotary, they want to go onto some of these great aircraft we've got down there. And the effort that they put into Afghan and Iraq hasn't been, um, it's been noted massively, it hasn't been forgotten. And they want to go and fly Chinooks, they want to go and fly all these, all these different types. And I think that's fantastic. Okay. Um, sometimes the difficulty might be to persuade a lot of guys to go on the F-35 because they think it's going to be heavy sim time. You know, no one knows, but, um, you know, and it's wrong to speculate, but it's, you know, sometimes we get people in flight school, uh, in jet school or helicopter school or or multi-engine school and they want to fly a different type because we're not a flying club. That's what I'm trying to say in the essays, okay? And of course, here's the interesting thing as well. A lot of the criticism comes from people who don't know what I do, um, and that's fine because I write essays to try and explain it. Interestingly, on a side point, before I start the essay, you're like, read the essay. I'm like, I got it. I'm going to do that for you. I really am. My wife said to me when I left the military, she said, maybe now you can be more vulnerable. All right. And I'm like, I didn't really understand what that meant. So I asked her, what do you mean by vulnerable? She's like, maybe you can open up, you know, express your feelings and stuff and, and and be a bit more, you know, just, just huggy and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, man, don't hug. No, I wasn't like that. I was like, okay, I, I get more touchy-feely. I'll be in, <laughs> man, don't hug. I've been in, uh, you know, maybe a, a space in the military where I was compartmentalizing emotion a little bit more than I should. And, you know, that's fine. I get that. And I've been thinking about what that vulnerability actually means and how you display vulnerability. If that is, you know, you just start crying at a film with dogs in it. Uh, maybe that's what women need. I might just find a film with dogs in it, that Rex film, whatever, just watch that and just cry at some bits where I think you should cry at. Maybe that's maybe that's what, and then maybe she'll go, "Oh wow, you're really vulnerable. That's really cool. Thank you for being vulnerable." Now, everything you've done in the military has changed, and you're normal, a new normal again. Of course, I might try that. There's a technique for you: You cry at dog films in front of your girlfriend, and you can be vulnerable. Um, So I didn't know what that meant, but then I thought to myself over the last couple of weeks, because I work all over the country now, so I do a lot of driving, and with the driving, you know, it's a benign skill, so you get a lot of thinking time. I thought, well, I am quite vulnerable because I write and uh, I, I speak on a podcast and I put YouTube videos out sometimes I do you know i I, I do these things where people come and they comment on my opinion or my on my or my writing, and some of those opinions aren't very nice. Some of those comments are actually as you've seen, they're quite personal they're, they're spears that hit me. so that's what I call interference so if you these people I don't know, a lot of them I don't know a lot of them I do, like Stu, and some other people in that wrote nice comments down the bottom I, I know as well um. And when those comments come in, yeah, of course it's going to hit you. You know these guys, you work with these guys, right? You're flown with these guys and that's going to hit you if you get a negative comment. But I call it interference. So I have a goal and that is to inform people, that's deliver content in corporate uh, entities and businesses that improve the workforce and improve everyone there and and help them have a better time in in their working and their social lives. That's my goal. And any comments that come in that kind of derail me on that, well, that is interference to me achieving my goal. So I don't tend to like or dislike the comments that come in. And I'm very careful when you get a comment and it's like, you're an idiot. And I don't look at what that guy does when he says I'm an idiot. But I mean, I've never walked into his business and just told him how to do anything. And I do get people, I wrote an essay before um, called Why Fight Pilots Know That Quick Reactions Are For Losers. And I had comments on that. And one of the comments from a guy, I think he was an accountant, he said, this is so wrong. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, Of course, fight pilots have to have quick reactions. Now, I found that very interesting because there's an audacity to that comment where it has been written by a fighter pilot. Well, okay, I'm not a fighter, I was a bomber pilot, but obviously I I was teaching it in combat and stuff on the T2. But what I was trying to say in that essay was it was about responding and not reacting, and that was the essence. And I guarantee my reactions, I'm 44 now, they're not going to be as fast as a 25-year-old. That's just a fact. Um, So, excuse me. But I just found that really interesting. So if I was to invest energy into his comment and try and solve that, uh, there would be really no point in me doing that it wouldn't he, i'm not going to change his view he's taken 10 seconds out of his day and just i'm going to rant on that and that he's gone his chimp yeah so his amygdala in his limbic system uh, which is much more powerful than his prefrontal cortex uh, it's just just leapt up and taken that and he's gone he's gone away he's gone to do something else what he hasn't done is sat there and responded and engaged his prefrontal cortex which controls your emotion and regulates them and represses your um, your your chimp brain your limbic syst- your limbic system he hasn't used that so what I try and do is in that response and not react is I read these comments and I sit there for a bit and I read them all I read them all every comment every single one and I'm like you know what I'm going to respond to that guy because I think I can I think I can help him understand where I'm coming from, and he's not so far gone that to write to him in in replying him in the comment on LinkedIn or something uh, is gonna just flash him up because that's not what I'm about. I'm about trying to educate people and let them understand the values um, that we took out of the military after 20 years, or whatever you know. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, when I do that and I'm really trying to do that in the rest of my life there's other areas where I want to flash and say no and here's the other thing I found this is interesting for people that are thinking of joining the military or still in the military in the military and where did I get this the other day I got some guys uh, flash and I said to my wife I said this is really interesting these guys Uh, and it might be what I've been on this essay as well actually but I was like I get this this is what I was like when I was in the military and I was halted All right." Now, you don't even know what HALTED is, do you? I'm about to tell you. So HALTED is an acronym that's come out from someone who's who's written this acronym. It's a very interesting one because when you're emotional, when you're displaying emotion and any emotion, anger, you know, it it could be anything, right? Um, There's a reason for this. And the reason, if you go back to when you are a child, when you are very small, this is what kids do, right? When kids cry, they cry for a reason. And what are those reasons? Well, HALTED stands for uh, five things, okay? Well, it kind of stands for six if you want to put an E in there as well. And I put an E in there because... um, I find that interesting and I'll tell you what that is. So the H stands for hungry, okay? All these things, if you're going to be angry at someone or you're emotional or something, you know, you're, you're feeling like not yourself, just sit there and go, right, what is it? Maybe let's, let's run through this checklist that Tim told me on his podcast. Run it through. Are you hungry? Okay, all this stuff sparks off your limbic system, okay? And acts like your chimp brain and makes you say things you don't want to say. Are you hungry? Are you angry, all right? Are you lonely? okay are you tired all right or are you uh, are you drunk the e that comes in there um that's kind of like you could actually say emotional but it's about your emotions really so it's about you doing things and saying things um that maybe you shouldn't do or say and and that's the thing about it so it's kind of saying okay what are you let's have a think about it so that's what it's trying to say so hungry angry lonely Tired. The E can be exposed. That's another one. I can use emu for that. All right. And what I mean by emu is like ostriches didn't really fit, but it's like burying your head in the sand and not not facing up to things you need to face up to. All right. I use emu because else it'd be whole todd and that doesn't make sense. But exposed is like a bit raw, a bit vulnerable, that kind of stuff. This is, you know, are you going you showing emotion because of that? Are you, you know, or drunk, of course. So any one of those things, if you're acting like a dick or you think you're about to act like a dick, have a think about whether you're halted. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, um, exposed, or drunk, okay? All right, cool. So coming back to the chimp brain and those guys still in the service, as I was. So you're, those guys in the service still, as I was, are tired, all right? There's, I mean, it's a full-on work thing. You're tired. You're not getting enough sleep. Your daily program isn't that much. So I was very reactive when I was in the service, and that's just, this is probably why we're quite confrontational. So I think this is sometimes why I get these comments from guys um, also, uh, these, obviously these guys aren't writing anything themselves because I'd like to read that if they were. So it's a chance for them to comment on stuff that I'm writing and sometimes they disagree and that's fine. We can do that, but they, they do it in a way maybe that's not as constructive as maybe I would think I would like them to have done. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. Should we go and read this essay real quick and hopefully we'll look at some nice bits at the end. All right. Oh, the last thing. Oh, last thing, my goodness. Um, yeah, I talked about this now actually. In fact, no, I won't. It's about creative writing, and I'm going to talk to you about creative writing after the essay. All right, let's do that. I'll probably forget. I'm probably going to forget. All right, so um, let's go through the essay then. And it's, The title of the essay is, Why the Best Fight Pilots Are Often the Biggest Failures. Fail the trip, I said to the flying instructor who'd just flown with one of our top students. He gave me a confused look. I was expecting it. My demand to him was entirely unreasonable. We knew the student well. I'd read her flying reports from her previous two flight schools and from our own squadron where she was learning to be a fast jet pilot in the RAF. She was excellent. Her flying was above average in all respects and she was hardworking and well prepared for her flights. But there was a problem. I'd seen it before, but it was obvious to me that her instructor had not. Fail her trip, I repeated. But she flew well. It was a good sortie. She's a great student. You know this. Why should I fail it? He asked. Well, have a think, brother, I said. She's a great student. Where's she going to be in six months' time? Now, I've always been interested in failure, probably due to my own history in flying training. I did well in the beginning on the small piston driven aircraft and then a little bit better on the larger ones that were faster and had a more powerful turboprop engine. But it was when I got on to advanced flying training on fast jets that I started to stumble. I put the work in, I prepared well, I hit the books in the evening, but still failed sorties. Some trips seemed to go well, right up until the debrief where the instructor would tell me I would need to fly it again. The verdict would come as a shock. One particularly bad time was halfway into learning to fly the Hawk, the aircraft the Red Arrow's aerobatic team use. I just failed my final navigation test for the second time, a key milestone in the course. My instructor was apologetic, he was a good guy and was liked by all the students. And pilots don't show emotions, it stops us concentrating on the job, so we compartmentalise them and put them in a box on the shelf marked for attention later, which they rarely get. It's a curse that will come to affect us in later life as marriages break down after years of neglect caused by a lack of demonstrable vulnerability. But today, I couldn't hide my upset. It's just a technical fail, Tim. Don't worry about it. You'll get it next time was all he could say as we walked back into the squadron. The persistent North Wales drizzle adding to my misery. It didn't help. Failing a flight once is bad. It hits you hard no matter how well you've been doing on your course. Often, you can see it coming. You might miss the level off and bust a height on an instrument departure, stray into an airway on a high level transit, or forget to make the weapon switches safe on a range sortie. The flight back is usually silent, instructor knows they have to fail you for your inattention and you know it too. It's true that due to the complexities of the flights an instructor can fail a student for pretty much anything and often overlooks a lot of small errors but some they just can't. Sometimes they'd offer to fly the jet home to give you a break and it was often safer that they did but fail a trip twice and the pressure is truly on. You can tell the students who have failed a trip twice They become insular and hide away from their course mates. In fact, their course mates distance themselves from the student too. They might say that is to give their buddy some space, but that's not true. They're reluctant to associate with them in case they also start failing trips through some kind of strange unconscious coupling. Like attracts like. Pilots want to succeed in their training and falsely believe that failure is of no use to them. Still, the truth is that if you fail a trip three times, then you'll normally be removed from flying training. If you're lucky and there's capacity to add another flight school, you might be offered helicopters or transport aircraft, but there's no guarantee and often it can be career ending. Brutal, but fair and understood by all, nobody said that flying military fighter jets was going to be easy, which is why there are fewer flight pilots in the UK than there are Premier League footballers. And I want to make clear that that's failing the same trip, by the way, three times. Um, you can have about 10% of what we call flexible element in the, uh, in the flying training course. So you can fail and refly about 10% of the course. But after that, you know, we'll have to have a close look at you and maybe another type is better for you. Right. So the instructor I was flying with was a good guy. And on previous sorties, he would often make the ringing sound of a telephone that would continue my flying helmet until I answered it. Hello, I'd say. Yeah, hello, Tim. It's your instructor in the back seat, mate. Uh, The good looking one. You might remember me. We've spoken many times before. I'm just letting you know that there could be an airways on the nose that you might want to avoid. Oh, hell, I'd apply as I throw the jet into a hard turn away. All students know that the instructors are on their side. They want them to pass and the majority will go out of their way to help the baby pilots through their flights. After all, instructors were students too, once upon a time. To a pilot... In military flying training, success is obviously important and is the focal point for the majority of students. They will work late at night, come at the weekends, and watch flight tapes with other pilots to get a nugget of information that might help them survive another day in flight school. But for an instructor, success isn't all that important. There's something that we are far more interested in failure. When I was 10 years old, my dad took me on a tour of Normandy with a military vehicle restoration group that he was a member of. He had a motorcycle from the Second World War that he'd restored, and whilst he rode his bike alongside the convoy, I'd be travelling tanks and jeeps and having a great time. For a small kid, it was a lot of fun, and I would chat excitedly with anyone who'd listened to me as we made our way across the various battle sites and spent the evenings camping out in the sun-bleached fields of northern France. It was a magical holiday that was to be brutally disrupted by my father's inability to control a gas stove in the dark. One morning, I was brutally awoken to shouts of, get out, get out, and dragged violently from the tent. It was on fire, and so was I. Our gas stove had ruptured, igniting the tent door, which had set light to the roof and collapsed it all onto the floor below. My father, who was outside of the tent at the time, dived through the burning material, grabbed hold of me, and pulled me out by my feet. Now, we learn from our parents the most, men from their dads and women, their mums. My father wasn't big on emotions, and to this day, I also find them hard to display. He just wasn't that kind of guy. But in dragging me from that burning tent, he demonstrated the processing of failure in a way that has never left me. I remember us sitting on the bank of the river that he'd just thrown our burning tent into. All of our kit was gone, and in effect, we were now destitute. I could hear some people nearby laughing to themselves about the fact that our house had now been destroyed. And he was embarrassed. I lit the stove inside the tent. That was the wrong thing to do, he said. Don't worry, we'll be okay. He never looked at me, but just stared into the distance. And I knew in that moment that we would be okay. Because he said that we would. And I was only 10. And he was my dad. And I believed in him because in his voice, there was nothing but humility, authenticity, and strength. And I knew in that moment, even though we didn't have a tent anymore, it didn't matter. That was my fault. I'm sorry that I set fire to the tent. I will do better next time, he said, in a rare display of emotion. And as the tent slowly floated away, we sat by the river and laughed. My father knew that failure didn't oppose success. It was an essential part of it. He'd made a mistake and was using it to demonstrate what failure does for someone. It allows them to take ownership of the issue and gives them permission to make improvements. It helps us learn what works and what doesn't work. And that's what I told the flying instructor of the student who was about to finish at our flight school. If she failed on the front line, then she might never recover from it. The higher you go, the further you have to fall. And it hurts a lot more too. I was interested as to why it hadn't been done at an earlier stage of training, but it's easily missed. Here's a quote Move fast and break things. That's a previous Facebook mission statement. Our overachieving student didn't understand failure. She'd done well academically and in her initial officer training and had won awards and praise along the way. She was a good student. But whether she believed it or not, her internal narrative was one of continued success and that can be abruptly changed by the reality of frontline operations. Fail her trip because in all of her flying training, she's never failed a trip, I said. Immediately, he understood. I get it, he said. She's never had to pick herself up. If she fails at something, at night and whilst all alone over northern Syria, she might struggle to recover. At least we can fail her in controlled conditions and help her to return from it. That's why a good school teaches students to embrace failure and learn to value it more than success. Success is comforting as you don't have to look deep into yourself. You can pretend you are learning and in a way you are. Success is important as it tells you that what you have done has worked. But failure builds the foundation that leads to continued growth, which can only come from an honest evaluation of your own performance. You don't need to fail in order to be successful, but you mustn't believe that failure opposes success and that it needs to be avoided at all costs. Here's another quote. A good pilot is compelled to evaluate what's happened so he can apply what he's learned. Up there, we gotta push it. That's our job. And that's Viper from Top Gun. Failure teaches a person what my father had taught me before I went on to become the most senior flying instructor of the flight school that I'd struggled through all those years before. Humility, authenticity, and strength. And that's why military flying training instructors know that success alone is fragile and that only through failure can the real learning take place. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's, that's everything. So some people didn't like that. And that's fine. And in your lives, you, you understand that too, that there'll be some things you do that people won't like. And also, it doesn't matter. It can be painful. And there are some people that are very close to you that, that won't like that. Um, whenever my wife reads one of my essays she doesn't like it and the more she doesn't like it the more successful it seems to be I don't know why that is it's just kind of weird so I don't tend to show her anymore because it upsets me when she doesn't like it and also I'm asking someone and uh, you know she 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 does great she speaks a lot on stage so I go to her for advice for speaking advice and everything but she doesn't necessarily uh, write too much she doesn't write in this creative format I need to speak about creative writing thank you Um, so really I'm asking someone uh, something that maybe they're not conditioned to tell me. And that's the issue with asking someone's opinion of something is they're going to give you their opinion about what they would do, you know, and it's not necessarily what you should do or what they think you should do with your circumstance. So be careful of other people's opinions. So creative writing, you ask. Yes, thank you for reminding me. So the thing about creative writing is um, if I'd written an essay on a student didn't do very well in their sortie, so I failed the trip. Well, in your mind, you're like, the student didn't do very well. And the natural outcome of that is, is you failing the trip. And so you're probably not going to read that essay because you're like, well, that's obvious, right? So that's obvious. If I write, the student did really well in that sortie and I failed the trip, you're like, what? Stop saying say again, you did, what? Yeah, that's right, it did really, really well and I failed it. Well, you're interested. I've got to get you interested in the essay. Unfortunately, and it's not, it's very easy for me to write a clickbait title. All right, clickbait's there for a reason because it gets people to read the essay. I don't want to be clickbaity so there's a fine line in between about getting people to read that first paragraph. If I can get you to read the first paragraph, then the, the message really is in the second paragraph. And the second paragraph is really the conclusion as well. That's what I want it to be. I want the conclusion to really amplify that second paragraph. Now I went down to, um, and it's interesting because it was only the Guardian that were running creative writing courses. And this was a few years back when I got back from Afghan back in 2011. And I wanted to write about my experiences because I was feeling very kind of strange and I didn't really know why that was. So I had an outlet. I'm not very creative and people in the military tend not to be because they're conformist, right? And conformity represses creativity. And I realise that now more than ever and having left. But um, so I went and did a creative writing course um, with Polly Toynbee and Susanna Shaw, was that I think? I can't remember. But it was down in The Guardian and there were only the people running it. And it was quite cheap at the time. They're really expensive now. So we get to speak to these journalists who write a lot. And all these lessons came out real nuggets and this is why i watch youtube videos or i read a lot and if a title grabs me i'm like wow that's an amazing title and then i say to myself why is that amazing or a picture on instagram where i'm scrolling through and i stop and i look at that picture i'm like why did that picture stop me and all the other pictures didn't and what you tend to find when you look at these things or when you listen to an essay or when you you read something and do this the next time next time you actually stop and read something on facebook or whatever whatever your medium is ask yourself why did i read that first paragraph and go back to the title of it Yeah, Um, some like pictures, for example, if there's a a black American footballer, a really big guy holding a small little white kid, you know, this kind of thing um, that you like, what's that story? because I can understand a, a black dad holding a small black son or whatever. What's this whole story here? Why is there a big black guy holding? You're interested in that. You know what I mean? It's like there's a, also the big, you know, the footballer, he's a big guy. And then there's this real vulnerability of a small little infant that he's looking after. There's another contrast right there. So I will have to contrast in essays. And what I didn't do in this essay, and I probably should have done a bit more, was amplify or, or just add a bit of nuance into it to say um, that obviously there'd been a history of, Uh, Errors And there are from every student. And in fact, with with this particular person here, I remember this one well, um, we put her back through about three trips, uh, a small little package uh, to really clear this stuff up. Um, I think we had a sim and a couple of flights. Uh, Now there's other people that we've done different things for. Uh, She mentors people now on the front line. She mentors people. and, And this is a very valuable thing for her. It's not like she flew a great trip and I went, right, fail, go. Because that's not acceptable. That's not Right. Because you don't get the messaging correct. It's interesting. And I know the Marines do this to a certain extent and people do it to challenge you. Like when you go into initial officer training and the next podcast after this is with a guy called Carl. Uh, Carl's done both the LAB and OSC. He's got a place offered from the uh, Navy already. And I've got him on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's great. It's a great podcast. And we talk a lot about like, you, you know, you're, you're being tested the whole time. So when they say make all your bed up and everything, and then they come in, and like, there's a hair on your bed and they pull the whole stuff off. They do that on purpose to see how you react, okay? That's the thing. If there's a guy that jumps out and throws his teddies in, well, that's not the guy that can control his emotion, all right? Halted. Remember that thing, all right? I'll put it in the show notes so you can figure out what it is. Uh, And that's the thing. So they're they're doing it and they're testing it. Now, we're not doing that in flying training because these people are too expensive. They really are. If I was to have a great trip with someone, walk back in and go, you know what? We're going to do that again. Well, that's costing us money, and there's every chance that person might feel it's very unjustified. I think it happened to me in my flying training with hindsight, to be honest, uh, especially as I was, I was training up to be a single seat, sea harrier pilot at the time. Um, and that's not what I did in the end because we sea harriers decommissioned. I probably wouldn't have made a single seat anyway. And I was more interested in ground attack. And my scores were better in ground attack than they were at ACM. But um, I think that's what happened is the Navy would go, oh, I'm just going to fail that trip, see how you recover. You know, it's kind of special forces technique, isn't it, in training. I'm going to fail this one and see how you recover there's uh exercises you do some places and everything some testing stuff where there is no result you're never going to win that's the whole point of the exercise you're never going to win and they want to see how you deal with that that's not what we do in our flying training school but there will come a point when someone's not going to pass the course we're not going to let them go to the front line and here's the thing they may pass all the trips but we're still not going to let them go to the front line that's the that's the that's the case right there okay because there's either, there could be an attitude problem. There could be um, something they're dealing with, a readjustment that's not conducive to flying over you know, bad lands and stuff. I don't want to give this, this issue to the OCU. And we talk to the OCU, so we always follow up and we always say, oh, those uh, four to six people we sent you away, how are they getting on? And normally we know the answers before we ask the questions. But here's the thing as well. Some people who fail a lot in flying training excel on the OCU. Now, I was one of those guys because I said in the essay there, I did really well initially and then I struggled through Valley. End up being the most senior instructor at Valley, but I struggled a lot at Valley. It was a real problem for me. And the OCU, I felt a different sense of freedom being given a, a 28-ton warjet, whatever the tornado was at the time, and a navigator in the back, which I loved. And I still love weapon officers in the back. I've got a lot of time for them. That's just how I roll. I just like that. I love the teamwork and everything. I love it. It's brilliant. And I miss that. I miss that a lot. Um, and I felt a real freedom on that front line and on that OCU driving into the front line. I really felt a real freedom there. So um and I was very lucky to, to work on the squad and I did work on upper lossy mouth. So that to me, that was important. So we still check and we're like, how did that person do? And sometimes the person that we think might've struggled or been a training risk, they're like, and this guy is on fire right now. He's doing really well. And we're like, that is awesome. That is awesome. And occasionally the students will phone us back up again and they will say, hey, I'm having a great time. Thanks for sending me this jet. You know, I wanted this one, but you sent me this one. I love this. That, that happened a lot when we send guys onto the tornado that wanted to be mates. Um, That, that does happen a lot. So we've talked a little bit about creative writing. Um, I need to hold you in suspense on that first paragraph to get you read the second. And if I can get you halfway down the essay, there's every chance you're going to read to the end. That makes sense because you're invested now. But what I'm not going to do to you is clickbait you all the way through because you're not going to read it. I'm not about that. I'm not making stuff up. This stuff actually does happen. Um, I want to start writing about things that I'm experiencing outside, but I'm in bid teams now for some quite sensitive projects and, Uh, But I am with another company called Aerolis, and uh, that's quite interesting. I'm going to start talking about that a lot more. This is a flying training startup. It's um, a very British project, making three airplanes to drive into uh, low-cost flying training aircraft to put across the rest of the world for those people that can't afford um, Aeromaki M346s, the TX by Boeing, the Hawk. People that can't afford those airplanes will come and look at the Aerialist project. So if you're interested, have a look at Aerialist, A-E-R-A-L-I-S. I'm the strategy director for that company. As an aside, that's just what I do. I'm not going to make fast ship performance a channel like that, but I'm going to start putting some content out there on the the Aerialist page as we start building what is uh, the fuselage section of the airplane, all right? So that's a real exciting thing for us, a lot of investment coming in now. Um, So the good comments that came out of the essay. Let's have a look at this, shall we? Yeah, so I'm going to read you a couple of comments, and when I say good comments, I just mean that ones that were quite, uh, the kind of were, were thought provoking for me. It says, uh, "Here we go." It says that right here. It says, um, "Interesting and thought provoking." Tim, I was failed on the final flight of our Royal Australian Air Force piston aircraft before moving on to the turboprop advanced flying training. It was a shock, and not expected. But the squadron CO was a testing officer. I thought he was an idiot, but maybe he had some method to his madness. I'd never thought that maybe he was setting me up for the success of the next step. I did well on the advanced course and graduated. That's, that's good. I like that a lot. Um, I get a lot of pilots right to me, actually. I, I, I like that. And from all different branches, actually. It's really cool. Uh, Tim, a great article. This reminds me of the great work by Carol Dweck. Uh, mindset, we have a choice. It's a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. That's interesting. Um, I'm covering that on the 12 months program about fixed and growth mindsets. This month we go into something different. we really think about who we are and who we want to be, what the story is, what the narrative is. But that's if you want to Google fixed mindset, growth mindset, I think that'll be quite an interesting one because a lot of people will say to fail here was wrong, and I'm like, okay, you, fine, you, you haven't got the responsibility of sending people into conflict they might not come back from, and maybe that's the difference between other maybe flying training schools or other other businesses or whatever. It's just there's a responsibility we have to protect this valuable thing and make it do what it, it's supposed to do i we need to protect it um get it to the level we need it and put it to the next stage of training so that's interesting right uh next trip next one m uh, interesting tim i certainly failed a few trips and remember feeling devastated the ability to hide emotion then was seen as a strength as you've highlighted it's not always conducive to succeeding in the rest of life i believe it's one aspect of transitioning from military to civilian life that is less understood for what it's worth i've always thought the better instructors are those who have failed along the way as well that's from jen Jen's a good friend of mine. I a lot of time for Jem. Uh, I don't think I ever flew directly with Jem, but I was in the service at the same time. Uh, another fantastic insight and valuable lesson, Tim. Uh, that's from a change management coach. I like that. And really, I don't think I've got... Oh, there's another one here. Now, I put this one in here. I put this one in because I think this is... Uh, this generates a bit of discussion. Not that we're going to have discussion here, but I'd like to just read you this one. It starts here. Failure can be the best teacher if we choose to learn from it and learn to deal with it competently and learn from it to motivate us to do better as a flight instructor i would have students who could fly the traffic pattern by rope i would give them the go around and see how they would handle an unexpected situation some would argue with me i knew they were not ready for the cross-country trips or even close solo yet i've learned to do the same in relationships to see how people handle adversity to determine both their character and demeanor be careful of that one um quite a few folks saying there's another quote here another one quite a few folks saying you can't fail someone without having a specific reason to do so the premise being without a specific technical learning point, it can cause confusion and as a consequence doesn't serve the purpose of, help, of helping development. And okay, that's a very rational perspective and true for 99% of the scenarios you'll face in work life. However, that's also the point. It's rational. Sometimes stuff happens that you can't control, that you can't rationalize, no matter how much you want to. I've seen it happen with senior leaders in M&A, I think that's merger and acquisition transactions, where a prospective buyer pulls out for no apparent reason. The downward spiral of emotions that can occur from the confusion of a failed transaction, one for which you can't find a root cause, can be catastrophic. Learning how to deal with those emotions is a lesson worth learning. And one way to train for them is to create a scenario where there is a no solution rational answer, which we just spoke about, didn't we? We just said some of these tests and things, that's like making your bed in in, in initial officer training or, or airman training, whatever. It's like, you're going to get ripped apart. Your uniform is going—I've written about this before. Your uniform is going to get picked up. It can be the most perfect uniform. They're still going to scuff your boots up for you and tell you to polish them again because they want to see how you react to it. And it's how you build team cohesion. And that's what this guy's saying here in his comment. All right, one way to train for them is to create a scenario where there is no solution, rational answer. Right? I've always said, train in adversity. Train teams in uh, in bad conditions. All right, that's the key. They pull together much harder. They understand each other because they see each other's weak points. I talk a lot about that in businesses. If you wanna bring me up there to talk to your business, okay, give me a call. Um, The last one here, and then we're gonna finish really. uh, This is from a guy called Aide Rycroft, actually, he's a nice guy, training support specialist in the RAF on LinkedIn. Aircrew performance coaching was developed to address many of the points in the article and is still delivered to RAF and Royal Saudi Air Force typhoon pilots as they complete their training. Stress resilience and ability to overcome poor performance, failure, were identified along with emotional control as key factors in success for modern fighter pilots. Okay, fact, and that's it. So what he's talking about is failure has had to be considered outside of a syllabus because you can't really write that in. We used to do a lot more performance coaching on four. I think it was stop, budget, controls, whatever. I can't remember what happened, which is where kind of mentoring came in. That's kind of why I started writing so that students could see that we also made mistakes as instructors and stuff. I was lucky to have a great team that I was working with, um, 12 great guys, um, probably the best instructors you're likely to find, to be honest with you. Very down to earth guys, very uh, humble people which I think is what you need, very authentic men. So failure outside of a syllabus is what we're talking about. How do we uh, put that in? How can we, we can't put failure into a syllabus. So you have to step back from it and you have to say what's right for this person. And that's why you're with these students for so long and you get to understand them in really tough situations. And you think, do I want that guy on my wing when I am going to war? All right, that's the thing. Back on two eight Squadron, they used to have uh was on 19 squadron i think it was 19 they used to have the guy the instructors would most like to go to war with i remember one of my friends si won that um he's on the f18 now he's a good guy um shocking admin good guy and uh he won that and i understood why he won it because i'd want to be i want him to be on my wing too you know what i'm saying that's the thing and that's a really nice compliment when the instructors say you know what i really want to if we ever went to badlands together then i'd want you to be there which is really good because they work with you for a long time and you live and breathe the same stuff the whole time you know your fail trips they big you up that's how it works there's a real relationship there we're not just failing people for the sake of failing it but we're looking at a big picture that's really hard to quantify to people that have not been in military flying training and i feel that i've kind of failed to do that maybe with the essay and that kind of upsets me and i maybe should have taken a bit more care to do that to put that nuance in and i will for the next one i'll be a bit more careful to make sure that we've Sealed it all up, um, if that's all right. But again, I think a lot of people got a message out of that, that failure isn't a bad thing. It actually makes you stronger in the longer term. And also someone pointed out that failure is the not recovering from a fall. It's the falling over and staying down. Um, Babies don't fail at walking because they get back up again. And yes, I'm using failure in maybe a slightly different term here. I'm saying you fail a trip, but then you're going to pass the next one, right? So let's not capitalize on that. I didn't really know what other word to use. That was going to be acceptable in the environments of like LinkedIn and everything else um we talked about duty care to students in the front line i do have a duty care to the front line or i did sorry to provide them with someone who was competent and resilient and resilient is really hard to quantify in a syllabus you can't say demonstrate resilience because it's how do you demonstrate resilience in a syllabus sortie and remember the syllabus sortie wasn't written by the royal air force it was written by ascent. this is under the united kingdom military flying training system luckily we have kept like instructors in the loop for this. We haven't just gone by rope with the key learning objectives and ticking off the key learning points and everything else. You know, that, that to me is horrific. I understand why we have to do that. But we've kept that judgment in there as well from flight commanders and, and course officers and everyone else. Um, we've allowed people to make that subjective judgment uh, to say, you know what? I didn't feel right. I think we're going to fly that again because I think you need the extra learning. Even though you may have passed all the points, technically, I think we're going to fly it again. And that's why people come to me. And, um, and that's how we discuss that stuff out. So the essay was, uh, was retweeted by AOC One Group. That's um, the Air Officer Commanding One Group who is responsible for all the warfighting effort in the Air Force. And I understand why he did that, because he's saying, look, yes, failure is there and we can learn from this and we can move on with it. And this is what we're doing in our flying training schools. Um, we're looking after people we're preparing them for a conflict ahead we're not just going by the book and going oh you did that so therefore you get a three and oh you managed to land all right so therefore you get a three it's like no there's other bits in there that were poor so let's do that bit again and let's square ourselves away and move on and that sometimes isn't done with other flight schools maybe and uh, i've been on flight schools where that wasn't done before i think that's it here's the last thing I've done some metrics on LinkedIn and what it means is, is that I think you can have 30,000 contacts on LinkedIn, 30,000. That's it. Once that's done, you've got to follow people. You can't link in with them anymore. Now on my LinkedIn, when you're in with me, right, what you get is all that stuff I'm sharing with people, you get that. But after that 30,000, you'll have to just follow. And there's that's a bit different. Okay. So if you want to link in to me and I'm very interested in business people, everyone that wants to link in, pilots around the world, there's a lot of people like that, um, scientists, everyone else that are, are I speak to a lot, especially psychologists and things. Get in there and link in with me now because once that 30,000 is full, you're just going to sit there and follow. And we're not going to have that kind of direct relationship. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So um, jump in there right now. The website, I keep saying this and I hate myself for it. I am redoing it. It's a real difficult thing though um, to work out what it should look like because the WordPress thing that's on right now doesn't work for me, doesn't work at all. And I'm about to take the podcast onto some other one as well. I shouldn't notice any difference. That just might mean it's more accessible for you on other devices like Spotify and stuff. If you've got anything for me, guys, you've got my email and stuff, just hook me up, just send it through. I read and I answer everything. Um, if you're nice, I, of course I answer it. Um, but if, if you're a, uh, a young guy or girl and you're looking to join the service I would just jump into some of those essays first because there's a lot of you that write to me as much as I love you and I do um, when it's like I want to join the service have you got anything for me it's it's like yeah I, I have I've got 50 essays that I've written of 3,000 words each um, do the maths on that that's like three books or whatever to, to read uh, and the podcast and the YouTube videos and please go there first and then come to me if you're writing your essay, if you're writing your email, sorry, I've, re- I've read everything, Tim. I've read it. I've got it. One thing I'm kind of question on is this. I will come back to you, okay? I'll come back to you anyway. I just rather, I'm kind of limited on time, as I'm sure you understand. Look, I really appreciate it. So we've rolled now for about fifty minutes. I think that's a nice forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, maybe. I think that's nice. It's a nice number. Um, if you've got any comments on the podcast, I really appreciate it. Please, um, again, hit them in the comments on the. Uh, the actual page itself the fast performance page or on the uh, youtube on the facebook thing if you want to do that um on the or you can hit me on an email if you want that's great that's great uh or anything else linkedin whatever you know that's that's great and but here's the thing don't it doesn't have to be good one of the guys one of the guys an ex-flying instructor in the air force wrote i don't agree tim and, and i was like that's okay that's okay because if i write an essay that everyone agrees on well, where's the discussion from that? You don't be embarrassed that you don't agree with something I say. You could write an essay and, and I, I could come back to you and I'd like to think I'd be a bit more instructi- more constructive. I might ask a question to get some clarification, but I wouldn't just put I don't agree. That doesn't, there's no value in I don't agree. It's like, I'm, I'm reluctant to agree to him because of this, 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 this. Is this what you mean? And then we have that narrative. But then again, people are halted, end of day, chimp brain, okay? Amygdala, limbic system, just rage. I'm going to, I'm going to state my point on a page and then it's very hard for me to engage with that kind of conversation because it's not as it? it's a statement. Right. I really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks for listening to the essay. I hope you got something out of it. Um, the main thing about it, of course, is failure being part of success, which is what we did in in the Air Force, not opposed to it. So don't worry if you're failing something, just square yourself away, get into sanctuary, regroup, get back out there. Okay. Learn from failure because it's failure pushes you forward. Right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Until the next time then, Tim Davies, Fileship Performance.